You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. We've been doing a, a series in the morning church entitled Getting Along. And it's a, a series based on relationships and how to be more effective in the way we relate to people. And I've been saying in the morning, you know, I can't believe it that people who are sophisticated, highly professional, highly skilled, highly qualified people still make huge mistakes, glaring mistakes when it comes to relationships. And in, in our Christian journey, and I'm aware some of you tonight are just sort of thinking about the Christian journey, maybe experiencing this kind of a, a setting for the very first time. But, but we're all together united in the fact that we have to deal with people. And so uh, tonight, some teaching from the Word of God uh, under the heading, Am I the only normal person left? Uh, do you ever have days when you feel like that? Uh, you know, when you're surrounded by so many frustrating people and things go so wrong and so many people let you down and so many people annoy you and get under your skin and you're left thinking, am I the only normal person left? Is everybody else going crazy? That's what we're on about tonight. Um, it's basic. The subtitle would be How to Deal with People who frustrate us. And uh, I want to take you to uh, an Old Testament passage for the reading tonight. It's one you may be familiar with. Maybe you've not read from this passage for a long time, if ever. It's a story, the early part of the story of Joseph, one of the great heroes of the Old Testament. And this is uh, Genesis chapter 37 and uh, reading the first um, 11 verses. Check this out. It's on the screen or you can follow it on your, uh, on your device. Uh, Jacob continued to live in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived. And by the way, in this reading, look for somebody who would prove to be really frustrating. I think you'll find it very quickly. Um, Joseph, Joseph, a young man of 17, took care of the sheep and the goats with his brothers, the sons of, of Bilhar and Zilpah. No, no ideas for sort of babies' names here. Um, his father's concubines. Oh, no, no, no ideas there either. Um, he brought bad reports to his father about what his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons. Very dangerous parents don't have favourites, or at least if you do, don't make it known, uh, because he had been born to him when he was old. He made him a long robe with full sleeves for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than he loved them, they hated their brother so much that they would not speak to him in a friendly manner. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. He said, listen, listen to the dream I had. We were all in the wheat field tying up sheaves when my wheat sheaf got up and stood up straight. Yours formed a circle around mine and bowed down to it. Do you think you were going to be a king and rule over us? His brothers asked. So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of what he had said about them. Then Joseph had another dream. I mean, this guy should have quit while he was ahead, but no, no. He had another dream and he told his brothers, I had another dream in which I saw the, the sun, and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to me. He also told the dream to his father and his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Do you think your mother, your brothers and I are going to come and bow down to you? Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept thinking about the whole matter, just sort of pondering, wondering what it was all about. Well, you can probably pick the guy who was uh, the point of frustration. Uh, and of course it was Joseph. I mean, who's grown up or who's growing up with a brother or a sister who really frustrates them and infuriates them at times? 
Anybody growing up with a brother like or sister like that? Okay, it's a pretty fair show of hands. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it happens in families. How would you cope with a precocious, self-absorbed guy like Joseph? I mean, how would you like to have him for a brother? I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. I mean, here he is, and, and he sort of has these dreams. And if you didn't kind of pick it from the reading, uh, you know, the first dream, they're out in the wheat field, and they're binding up these sheaves of wheat. And all of a sudden, Joseph's wheat sheaf sort of rears up, and all the others bow down. Oh. And Joseph says, what's that all about? You know? Well, hello. And then a second dream about the sun and the moon and all the stars, 11 stars. How many brothers? 11. Oh, coincidental. And they're all bowing down to him. And Joseph sort of, yeah, what could possibly that be about? He's a precocious little upstart, and the brothers are incensed. They're frustrated by this, by this guy. Now, here's the thing. The reality is, whether it's a brother or a sister or a friend, the reality is, in all spheres of our lives, potentially there are people who are going to frustrate us, who are going to get under our skin. It might be at work. It might be in the neighbourhood. It might be at uni, uh, among your social group. There are people who are going to frustrate you, as they frustrate me and, and killing them whilst an attractive proposition because that's what happened with Joseph. Uh, his brothers decided to kill him. Now, uh, they weren't successful. One of the brothers had a bit of, uh, sort of, a bit of uh, mercy on, on Joseph and said, oh, look, let's, let's just sell him into slavery. Of course, his dream did, which you know, it's a handy option to have up your sleeve. Um, he did, in fact, rise in Egypt to a position where he was sort of like the Joe Hockey of Egypt, uh, in charge of all the money. Oh, sorry, is that a sensitive one? Uh, in charge of all the money, in charge of all the, all the produce. And they did, in fact, come to him at a time of great famine. And they did, in fact, bow down to him. So the dreams became true, but it was just perhaps the way he packaged and explained the dreams that might have been a, a bit of a problem. Guys, we have to handle people who frustrate us. We, we, because look, that's part of the key, a huge factor in how well you and I handle life. Would you agree? How we handle frustrating people, people who let us down, people who disappoint us, people who get under our skin, how we handle that is a huge factor in how successfully we will negotiate life. The reason why we've got to learn how to handle frustrating people is because there are so many of them. There are so many of them out there. <laughs> that every day threatened to uh, get under our skin just like that. Now, I want to share with you tonight some achievable steps, very practical steps, achievable steps. They're based on biblical principles. And this is specifically designed to be quite practical in, in the way we apply these. Here's the thing. When having to deal with people who frustrate us, there's a number of things that need to happen. The first thing is a decision has to be made. There's a decision to make. And the decision is this. To what extent am I going to allow this person or this situation to really get to me? To really get under my skin? That's a decision that you can honestly and consciously make. Does that surprise you? If you haven't discovered that it's possible to make that decision, I want to reassure you tonight, it is. I want to talk to you about... about, uh, well, it's, basic, it's, the, it's, the basic, it's the most basic truism of, of the whole of life, which we've mentioned many times on this platform. We can't always choose our circumstances. That's a reality. You cannot always choose your circumstances in life. The one thing we can achieve, or we can choose rather, is how we handle 
the circumstances, the decisions we make. It's a truism. I'll give you an example that, uh, that was... I had to put this into practice in a, in a huge way. Uh, come with me back uh, to 2010. And uh, my wife and I were on the verge of uh, a once-in-a-lifetime trip. We, we had a, a little 12-day uh, cruise on the Mediterranean. And so we just arrived in the Italian township of Savona, which is a beautiful little town on the, on the banks of the Mediterranean. We'd come from the equally beautiful Italian town of Genoa. And we caught a little train down from that city. And look, I was relaxed. I was just feeling fantastic. Uh, I mean, this is a trip we looked forward to for a long, long, long time. But I started to, my mood started to change considerably when we finally managed to get a taxi that was going to take us from Savannah Station just down to the docks where the ship was that we were going to be collecting. Now, uh, we'd been told it was a very short trip. It turned out to be about from here to North Sydney, right? Well, the taxi that rolled up was a little VW Jetta, like you drive, Mark, a little Jetta, okay? Now, it was okay for two people with the baggage, that was fine. This guy insisted on taking not two, but four people, us and two other women, which meant that the bags didn't fit into the boot, and so we're, we're sort of in the back seat, and I'm in the front seat with bags everywhere. And then the guy says, okay, 15 euros each couple. And I said, what? what? what 15 euros? Are you kidding? We can, barely, we can always see the ship from here. And so and he, says, he says, and I said, look, where's the meter? Let, let, let's wait for He says, no meter. And he points to a, a sign that was, looked like it was written on the back of a cigarette pack. It said, railway station, two cruise ships, 15 euro. Here's a guy, and if you've traveled, those of you who travel, you know exactly what this situation is like. You know, it's just a total rip-off. You know you're getting ripped off, but you've got to go down there. So what are you going to do? So I'm sort of uh, getting a little bit argumentative, which is uncharacteristic of me, but I'm sort of, uh, I know I'm getting ripped off. I said, mate, that's just not, that's just ridiculous. You're going to get 15 euros off each of us. It should be less than that just for the one trip. And you go, no, 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 you're 15 euros. I said, and my wife, who's so calm, Bevy said, she's beautiful. She said, darling, just, just pay the man. It's okay. Just, just pay the guy. No, don't worry. Said, oh, okay, so. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's my second source of frustration. Somewhere on the Genoa railway station, my wallet had been lifted. So uh, I'm dealing with two, a double frustration now. I've got a guy who is blatantly ripping me off. and I've got somebody at the Genoa railway station who's lifted my wallet from goodness knows where, out of my pocket or something. Uh, and so I've lost uh, quite a few hundred dollars uh, of currency, all my cards, everything. Guys, when I got to that ship, I've got to tell you, that, that was supposed to be a, a, a moment that I would savour for the rest of my life. You know, wow. I, I was just in a fog. I was just in a, a, a daze. Um, I was uh, tearful. I, we had to make phone calls back to Melbourne, try to cancel the cards. The people were very helpful on the, ship, the shipping line. It was just a shocking day. Do you know what? We got into our little cabin and together we made a decision that we were going to commit this to prayer. Now, this is not a pious, heroic thing. It was just illustrate that you can make decisions like this. And we prayed a prayer that was along these lines. God, we've looked forward to this trip for so long. Regrettably, two people have chosen to really muck up our day and really throw a spanner in the works. We refuse right now, right here. We refuse to let these two people spoil this unforgettable experience. And so we're going to put this behind us right now. It's only money. It's only a wallet. We'll never see these guys again and didn't even see the first guy. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, somebody over there in Italy got my wallet, man. And I went, I went and tried to claim the wallet back in the Genoa 
police station, which is another story altogether. Uh, really regretting I did that. Um, so, guys, it's possible to make... First, there's a question to be asked. To what extent am I going to allow this source of frustration to get under my skin? But there's a question to be asked, a decision to be made, but there's a question to be asked. And the question is why? Why is this person causing me so much frustration? Why are they so hell-bent on mucking up my day? Why am I getting this bad service? Why is this person giving me so much grief as I'm in this line? Why is What's going on? What's happening in their life that could be causing what they're doing to me? There's generally a reason. There's generally an explanation as to why people are acting in a certain way. It's the question most of us, including myself, frequently fail to ask. I'll give you an extreme example. And I, um, I've had many examples of this particular point in my ministry, but none better than the one I'm going to share. But I have shared this one before in the morning congregation. But it's the best example I have. It relates to my very first ministry where I had a divided eldership. I was fresh out of college. I was going to change the world. I had all these ideas and had a great church in which to work. But getting changes through was proving to be pretty difficult because the eldership was divided. Some were in favour of change and the other half were not very resistant. And one guy in particular blocked every single idea and thought and creative suggestion that I came up with, just blocked it. No, we've tried that. That's not going to And then the oldies, the oldies won't like that. Wait, wait, wait. And even the, the guys who were in favour were saying, oh, come on, you know, Graham's just out of college, you know, he's got some ideas, we should give him a go. No, uh, 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 uh. He, he wouldn't have a bar of it. So eventually I had, a, had a, a conversation with him, went into the city of Adelaide and had a coffee with him and found out a few things. And uh, this took a little, little while to get this out, the real story, but what, what was happening was this. We'll, we'll call him David, that wasn't his real name. But uh, David was, he worked for a government department, the Bureau of Statistics was the one he, Bureau of Census and Statistics, that was his department. Uh, and he was a man in his late 50s who consistently had been bypassed for promotion. He'd been kind of sidelined. He was in a role called the training officer, which in those days meant he showed people how to write on the whiteboard and, and how to use an overhead projector and this kind of stuff, you know. And he knew he was capable of better, or at least thought he was. But he'd been sidelined for years by young men and women out of college, out of university, who were promoted to positions higher than him. In the Bureau of Census and Statistics, he could do nothing about it. Couldn't do anything about it. But in a church where he was an elder and he had control, he could really make life difficult for a young guy out of college. And that was the whole reason for his... And he, he, it was so deep, he didn't even know it. He, he couldn't even pick it. So we talked and we got others involved. And over a period of months, uh, we became very good friends. Uh, he's since passed on. I, I didn't have anything to do with that, by the way. Uh, I, I, was, I was not anywhere near the, the area at all. He died of natural causes. Um, so there's always a reason, particularly in those situations where there's ongoing, deeply ingrained frustration if you work with somebody who gives you grief if there's somebody in your family among your relatives in your social scene who persistently seems to have it in for you chances are there's there's a reason it may not be what you want to hear but it may be something that progressively prayerfully you can deal with you see first corinthians thirteen six, paul says love is not happy with evil but is happy with the truth 
Love is happy with the truth. And part of our loving response to people should be to discern the truth. Why are you behaving the way you are? What's behind all this? Is there someone who's riling you at the moment? Somebody who's really frustrating you? Have you asked the why question? Have you paused to prayerfully ask, why is this happening? What is there about this person I'm yet to discover? I'm yet to find out. What could be the reason why this is all happening? So there's a a decision to be made. There's a question to ask. And there's an admission to make. Guys, the admission to make is this. The only person we can change is us. You know that. We can't change other people. The only person we can change is us. And sometimes our preoccupation with the the way the other person frustrates us and gets under our skin, our preoccupation with that causes us not to even consider that some things we are doing may be contributing to the problem. We don't even think about that because we're so preoccupied with what's happening in in terms of how they're affecting us. Um, We've already got the marriage course underway. And we've got a great group who are doing the marriage course at the moment on a Thursday night. One of the DVDs recently reminded me of something very powerful. One of the stories on the marriage course DVD is a couple where the wife makes this admission. She says, she says for the first 10 years of our marriage, I focused on my needs and his faults. And she said it almost took us to the brink of disaster. We almost, you know, divorced. She said, the turning point in our marriage came when I consciously, intentionally started to focus on his needs and my faults. Now, you know, it, it sounds all very you know, idealistic and so on, but, but that, that was an epiphany moment for that woman and brought about a radical transformation in the way she and her husband related. Matthew 7, verses 3 and following, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the log in your own eye. Now, essentially, it's a, it's a verse, it's a, it's a teaching from Jesus about judgmentalism. But that's the primary application. But there's a reminder in this verse that the only person we can change is us. So how we deal with that frustrating person prayerfully as part of our journey with Jesus, that is going to hold the key to ultimate resolution. So there's a decision to be made. There's a question to ask. There's an admission to make. But there's also initiative to be taken. Initiative to be taken to break the impasse. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. We looked at it this morning. Jesus on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says to his followers, Leave your gift at the altar if your brother has something against you. Don't worship. Don't, don't bring your gifts in until you've been reconciled with somebody with whom you are in a severe conflict. Leave your gift. Be reconciled. Make peace and then come back. Leave your gift at the altar. This is a hard one, isn't it? Taking initiative is a hard one. You know, for those of us who are experiencing the transforming power of Christ in our lives, the initiative always falls back on us. And I know that seems unfair. And I know at times that's really hard. Gosh, once again, I've got to take, I'm the one who's got to make the first move. Why should it always be me? How many of you involved in situations of conflict or have been involved where the, the level of tension and conflict has been allowed to progressively rise over the months and over the years because nobody's prepared to make the first move? I've seen it all the time in my ministry over the years. Conflict within families, among friends, in marriages, 
tragic. Nobody's prepared to be humble enough to make the first move. Uh, The consistent pattern of Scripture right the way through is if you're being transformed by the power of Christ, you make the first move. And the the theology is, is spot on. We love because he first loved us. I mean, God took the initiative with us. God took the initiative through Jesus for us. There's the, there's the principle, the theological principle behind all of this. And guys, there's a consistency to be maintained. I, I don't get this right every time, but I try in God's strength to resist the temptation to be negative and retaliatory in the face of people who frustrate me. And you get better at this as you get older, by the way. I don't know whether it's a sort of like a who cares thing or whatever. I don't know. But uh, you, you get sort of better. You, you become a bit more relaxed, I think, when you get older. I mean, older people here agree with me. A bit more. I know there is the cranky old man syndrome. Uh, but I hopefully I'm resisting that or avoiding that so far. Um, but look, consistency. In other words, you just keep treating the person the same way. You don't change. You don't match their aggression with aggression. You don't match their frustrating actions with similar type of behaviour. It's hard. It requires discipline. Um, There's a verse in Matthew 5, again, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Or we could slot in tonight, those who infuriate you, those who frustrate you. Pray for those people. And in a message recently in the morning, Sam gave a great word on the fact that, you know, if you're consciously praying for somebody, even though it might be really hard, if you're consciously praying, it automatically changes how you see them. And it can just lower the level of, of angst you may feel toward them. There's an old saying which I love, calm people, calm people. You're a calm, consistently calm person within reason. It can have the effect of calming those around you. It's customer service 101. Those of you involved in, in sales, you know, the more aggressive the customer is, slamming the product on the, what's all this about here? And your, your role is just, excuse me, sir, sorry, just, what? What are you saying? And as they can't hear you, they will drop their tone to try and hear what you're saying if you're talking softly. It's, it's, it's customer service 101. Uh, and it's also a biblical principle. So initiative taken. There's initiative to be taken. There's consistency to be maintained. And guys, finally, there are boundaries to be established. Look, if I've given the impression tonight that our role as Christians in this area of relationships is just to roll over, take it on the chin, just take everything that people deal up to us uh, and you know, don't offer any kind of resistance, or offer any kind of ba- or set any kind of boundaries. If I've given you that message, then I've given you a very wrong message. We are not meant to be doormats. We are not meant to be walked over. We are not meant to be passive in all situations. There is a time to say your behaviour is unacceptable. I- I'm finding the way you are reacting to me something that I'm that it's just not. It's just not acceptable to me. We'll have to make some changes. We've got to talk about this. Jesus, in a very controversial saying once, it's recorded in, uh, in Matthew 10. He's talking to his disciples about going out and spreading the word into the towns and the villages around the place. And he says, if you go to a home or you go to a village, a whole village, and they refuse to talk with you, they refuse to accept you, that'd be pretty frustrating, wouldn't it? He said, if that happens, then symbolically, as you leave that house, as you leave that village, take your sandals off and and give them a little shake. Shake the dust 
off your sandals as a sign of your displeasure with the frustration they have caused you. Jesus said that. Now, it's got to be unpacked a little bit. You don't do that. That's not your main modus operandi. But it just shows you that we're not meant to be pushovers as Christians. I was at a conference recently, and admittedly, this minister was talking about something that had happened in his early days of growth. He'd grown through this. But he was talking about how tough it is to be in ministry. Ministers love to talk about that sort of thing when they get together, how tough it is in ministry. And he was saying, it's really tough out there. And, and, And he said, look, I had a guy in my congregation years ago who burst into my office one day and he just fired all this criticism at me, how bad a minister I was, the areas in which I was failing and and all the things that I'd done wrong. And he just went on and on and on. And I'm thinking, wow, that's heavy. He said, the guy did that four times that year. I thought, wow, that's insane. And then he added, that went on for eight years. I'm going, what? Are you kidding me? Now, bear in mind, he said that he'd grown through it. But, I mean, to even consider putting up with that is just ridiculous. I don't know where he was coming from, theologically or emotionally or any other way. I mean, that required eldership involvement. That required someone to sit there and say, brother, there's clearly a problem. You have got some real issues. And that behaviour of coming in and bawling out our senior pastor, that's just unacceptable. It just won't wash here. I'm sorry. We've got to take something, take some action. Would it surprise you to know that Jesus Christ found his disciples frustrating on occasions? I know some of you realise this. He found them really frustrating. Jesus Christ, yeah, his humanity. His humanity allowed him to get really frustrated, to really have bad days. Days when he was really ticked off. I'll give you some examples. On one occasion, Jesus said to, his, uh, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Your behaviour is unacceptable. I'm, I've already told you I'm going up to Jerusalem to, to fulfil my mission. You're telling me, oh, Lord, you know, all this negative talk, it's upsetting everybody. It's just saying, calm down. No, no, I'm, I'm heading in the direction my father has called me to. Your behaviour in trying to deter me from that is unacceptable. On one occasion, he said to two of the disciples, you don't know what you're asking. They said, oh, Lord, can we be up with you in the kingdom, one on your right hand, one on your left, you know, bossing it over everybody because, uh, you know, we're good guys and we, we know you think we're special. Uh, can we do that? And Jesus just shook his head, said, I find that comment unacceptable. You don't know what you're asking. You just don't know what you're asking. I find that really frustrating given all I've tried to share with you guys. And what about on one occasion? It's one of the most poignant moments in the whole of the Gospels where Jesus is simply in the face of lack of faith and people ask him all these weird questions. He just said, how much longer am I going to be with you? It's Jesus. How much longer am I going to be with you? Is everybody crazy except me? Yeah, this is Jesus. And then I love it on the, on, the, on, the, on the boat on the Lake Galilee when the storm hit and the disciples said, oh, Lord, are we going to die? You know, all this wind and wild weather. What's happening? Where are you? He says, oh, ye of little faith. Gosh. I'm finding you guys really frustrating after all I've been through with you. So you've got to set boundaries. So I don't know what that would mean for you, but it means that we are not meant to be just kicked around because we are Christians. There are boundaries and they're biblical. It's a biblical principle. It requires courageous conversations sometimes. It may require a lot of help and support from your pastoral team, from your church. If it happens within a church, it certainly requires action on the part of the leadership. 
Guys, in closing, look, Matthew 5, 46, here's what Jesus says. This is very, very important. He says, why should God bless you if you love only the people who love you? I mean, how easy is that? It's easy to love the people who show love to us, isn't it? That's, that's easy. That's, not, that's a no-brainer. Why should God bless you, says Jesus, if you only love the people who love you? The real test of faith and Christian integrity and discipleship is reaching out to the people who don't love us, who frustrate us, who irritate us, who get under our skin. And you know, sometimes at the human level, that, that's impossible. And I found over the years there is a spiritual layer to this which makes it possible. And it's a prayer that goes something like this. I am finding it at the human level impossible to love you. I'm just finding it impossible. But I'm reaching out my hand in the belief that God will extend his love to you through me. I'm making my hand available as a, an instrument of his love because I can't do it. And you know, that, in, a, in essence, that's agape ministry. That, that's, the Christian church is involved in that all the time. You know, they used to sort of loving the unlovely. That used to be the old phrase, you know. Like, like that's, that gets us involved in mission at all kinds of levels where it's really hard. Um, you talk to a prison chaplain, it's, it's hard to, to love somebody who's in for mass murder or rape or pedophilia. But those chaplains do a mighty job because they're basically saying, you know, I'm finding it really hard to love you, but I'll extend my hand to you in the belief that God, my heavenly Father, will extend his love to you as he has to me because there in some cases but for the grace of God could go any one of us you're finding it hard to reach out and love certain people you're not alone at the human level even Jesus found that pretty tough at times but it's important it's, it's crucial in our journey through life to be able to become more effective in this area because we're going to face this all the time